my name is Jim Schaefer. I am a native of Schenectady. I spent a lot of time away from Schenectady, but I'm back in my boyhood home on Skimmerhorn Road. And just recently, I was appointed as town historian for the town of Rotterdam. This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. Dr. Jim Schaefer is historian of the town of Rotterdam in Schenectady County. He was named to the post early this year. A Rotterdam native, Schaefer is a high school graduate of Christian Brothers Academy. He has a doctorate in cultural anthropology. He worked many years in academia in Montana, Minnesota, India, and here in New York State, and became an expert in alcoholism, creating abuse prevention programs. One of the things you say you want to research now in the town of Rotterdam is the history of bars and speakeasies. Were there a lot of them in in Rotterdam, New York? As far as I know, sure. What, was it anything specific about Rotterdam and bars and speakeasies that interests you? I mean, I grew up in Amsterdam and was familiar with a, a lot of bars there. That's Amsterdam, uh, New York. They always used to say there were more bars than people could visit in any uh, given period of time. Well, as, as you know, the river was a very important place. There were taverns about every two or three or maybe five miles along the river. And they all had uh, places where people could rest and enjoy social company and and drink. So I think that that was probably the earliest part of the history that I would be interested in. And then, of course, I jumped forward to the contemporary situation, especially during COVID, interested in finding out what patterns of behavior uh, men and women follow right now. Mm Mm-hmm. You moved uh, back to Rotterdam after your parents passed away, as I understand it. Your father was an atmospheric scientist and chemist Vincent Schaefer, an assistant to 1932 Nobel Prize winner Irving Langmuir at what is now called GE Global Research. Do you live in the house that you grew up in? Yes, my, my folks designed it, and uh, my uncle Paul, who was... Uh, known for his buildings as well as for his work uh, advocating for preserving the Adirondacks, uh, built the house as, uh, as an apprentice. Uh, what, what part of Rotterdam is it in? Well, it's kind of what we call the historic district. Skimmerhorn Road, of course, has the Skimmerhorn homesteads, the mansion, as well as uh, four or five houses. And uh, my home is on a hill, which is just above the oldest Skimmerhorn uh, facility, which was built in 1704. And so my father used to eat apples uh, in an orchard on a hillside and said, this would be the place that I'd like to build my house. And in fact, that's what he did. Because really? they grew up poor. They grew up poor. And every single one of his brothers, as well as himself, decided to never have to live in a, in a cold water flat or rent. So they built their own homes. And, and Paul, of course, was uh, very interested during the Depression in going around and measuring uh, the, the, the buildings that were being abandoned at the time. And so mm-hmm. understood the architectural structure of many of the buildings that go back to the 1800s. And he used those ideas to help formulate his classic Schaefer home, which is mm-hmm. a Dutch colonial-style brick with slate roof and lots of barn beams 
that are his signature. It sounds very uh, cozy and big in a way. Uh, they're beautiful. The only part that's not beautiful is the kitchen. When when he uh, was building his home over in uh, on St. David's Lane out of limestone, uh, he built the house and camped out with his wife in the woods, and she agreed not to come in the house until it was done. And when he uh, said the house is done, she came and looked around, was very impressed, and she asked, she says, if I have but one question, where's the kitchen? <laughs> and he forgot <laughs> to put in a kitchen. So he took out his saw and created what is called a galley kitchen, which is where basically a narrow alley with counters on both sides and appliances built into it. And that's almost all of the Schaefer homes that he built, the three or four hundred in the area, all have galley kitchens and the women hate them. (laughs) Even though they're very convenient for cooking, they are certainly not the kind of social center that people like these days with the wide open spaces and granite countertops and so Uh what we did is we modified our house and put in a social center which is the countertops and expands the kitchen and it is in fact the social center we had a big party here last night with my my son's friends your um is your uncle right paul schaefer he's the one that you said he built 200 homes oh more than that probably three or four hundred throughout the capital district uh loudonville over in miskuna People are very, very fond of the Schaefer homes. They, they have a signature look to them, lots of masculinity in them, if you pardon the expression. And uh, they're very, very strong built houses. Mo- many of them have beautiful chimneys that uh, are made out of cobble or limestone. And those were put in by my Uncle Carl. He, he was a, a mason as a hobby. He was a foreman at the GE turbine plant, but his his expertise was in building chimneys, and he built a chimney for almost all of my Uncle Paul's homes, including two in my home. The uh, neighborhood that you're in, you said, had been uh, lived in by the Skirmerhorn family. Who were they? Well, they, of course, were were part of the early colonial era, and uh, one of the homes on Skirmerhorn Road called the Brat House was one of the first in the area. And then the Skimmerhorns started to own some of the property on the outskirts of the farmland, which, of course, was part of the Dutch colonial era uh, land planning. And most most of the Dutch expansion throughout the world, they, they create homes and uh, farmland ver- uh, perpendicular to the river. And so we live on, they have a foremost, which is the tillable land, and then the, hind, uh, the hindermost, which is the woodlot. And we live on the hindermost of lot seven. So in the stockade, there were families that had plots, and they would number the plots, one, two, three, four, five, and so forth, and then reverse the number in the woodlots. So that it, it forced an integration of the, of the families and of the community. And it enabled them to uh, build friendships and, and uh, inter, inter, you know, interrelationships that were strong. Is your family uh, of Dutch origin? My, gra- my, my grandmother was uh, Pennsylvania Dutch. So she was, she was Dutch, and of course my, my father was German. Currently, I mean, you've been a professor and, and an academic, 
but you and your wife, Kim, run an estate sale business. That probably exposes you to local history, I would say. Oh, very much. It's just unbelievable some of the places we get into in all kinds of conditions. And some of them are old. Some of them have antiques. But these days, we do estate sales not particularly looking for antiques to sell, but we sell just about everything. You can't believe what people will buy. (laughs) Okay. Have you always been interested in history? From when I was a kid growing up here, my dad, who was very eclectic, was interested in history and prehistory. We used to hunt arrowheads in the fields down below us and also up the river. So I've always had an interest in, in archaeology and prehistory, among many other things. But uh, sure, I, I, was, I was, you know, born in a home where there were a lot of things going on. And my father was very active outdoorsman, forming clubs back in the 20s and 30s and uh, starting the snow train that went up to the Adirondacks. And, and uh, in fact, coming up, we have uh, our traditional pancake breakfast out at the Crispin Preserve, which was started back in 1930 by the hiking club that my dad formed. And uh, mm-hmm. we go back in the woods about three-quarters of a mile to the High Falls of the Bosenkill and cook pancake breakfast for about 20 or 30 people. And that's been going on now for 90 years. So this year really? is going to be the 90th year that we have a pancake breakfast back in the woods. It's just a right. tradition. I, I, yeah. I, I went there as a, an 11-month-old baby. <laughs> really? Yeah, you said you wanted to talk about this club, the, was it the Mohawk Valley Hiking Club, started in 1929, and your parents belonged to it, or were they the originators of it? Well, my, my dad and his brothers, Paul and Carl, and my aunt Gertrude were part of the original club. My mother was a was single at the time, and she was uh, enamored with doing outdoor activity, and was one of the 20 or so people that actively were involved in the in the Mohawk Valley Hiking Club, they would meet every weekend and either Saturday or Sunday and go hiking. They would mm-hmm. take the trolley or their their cars. They didn't have very, very much money, so they had to be really careful about expenditures. But they would go find an interesting place to go do a day hike, have a lunch, explore, maybe caves, maybe a historic site. Maybe they'd go up the top of a mountain. They climb Roman's nose down the Squahari. They do all kinds of things, but every weekend, and and that was throughout the year. It didn't matter if it was raining or snowing; they would go, and that was mm. how I was raised. My my yeah, folks well, would take us hiking every single weekend. Very wow. few times did we miss, mm. and so I grew up that- in that kind of uh, culture of mm-hmm. uh, appreciating the outdoors, and uh, one thing led to another. But the hiking club was formed in 29, and right during, right before the Depression hit. And uh, mm-hmm. they, they of course, uh, banded together and, and hiked all kinds of areas. And as I mentioned before, my, my uncle, Paul, got very interested in the old farms that were abandoned. And he would, as I said, it would go measure, measure things. But they, they would go exploring and just having fun. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, we're talking with Jim Schaefer. He is a town historian in the town of Rotterdam, New York, in Schenectady County. Let me bring this back to Rotterdam, but it still has to do with hiking. Uh, tell us about the Rotterdam uh, Bicentennial Long Path End-to-End Hike across the town. Apparently, Rotterdam's part of a hiking route that goes from New York City up into the Adirondacks? Yes. In fact, that was one of the uh, contributions my father made to appreciate the highlands of eastern New York. Uh, his original concept was to have a hiking, hiking uh, path or a corridor from uh, Bear Mountain, and later it was extended down to the George Washington Bridge. And I understand now it's at the actually 181st subway station is where the long path starts. And, of course, it goes uh, as a blaze trail now up to Thatcher Park, uh, about 150-so miles of uh, blaze trails, which was counter to my father's philosophy for hiking. He thought blaze trails were kind of boring, uh, just hmm. like super highways. We would always take back roads. But my dad right. was a bushwhacker. He would go from one place to another with a map and a compass and good wood sense. And so at Thatcher Park, we have moved the long path up through Albany County, Skinkney County, Saratoga County, into the Adirondacks um, uh, using low-volume roads, which is the only way you can really make the path work. And it did go through Rotterdam. So when I was on the Bicentennial Committee, I suggested that we create a, a hiking patch, a little bobble for people to challenge themselves to complete the path. So we started in the south end of of uh, Rotterdam, which is up by Rhinex Corners, and the corridor goes through the Plotterkill Preserve. So we took mm -hmm. the uh, idea, put a kiosk up at the top and a kiosk down by the river at Kohanas Park, and it's about a four and a half, five mile hike. And so people have been uh, hike, uh, signing in at the kiosk going down to the river or going from the river up to the top of the plotter kill. It's about a couple hundred feet of elevation over five miles. And they get mm -hmm. a hiking patch, which uh, celebrates the Rotterdam Bicentennial 1820 to 2020. And as of today, we have had 105 people completed, and uh, six people have completed it five times or more. So this particular section, the Rotterdam section, is just part of a some uh, maybe 300-mile uh, hiking path that goes up to the top of Whiteface Mountain. Through the Adirondacks, it is an unblazed trail. It's just my father uh, created 84 landmarks, that is, places of interest that a person could find and, and complete the, the path that way. It basically goes up Stony Creek in the eastern Sacandaga, past Crane Mountain, up through Indian Pass into the uh, Lake Placid area. So it's a long path that, that is a very interesting hike for, for people to challenge themselves to complete, sort of like the long trail in Vermont and like the Appalachian Trail that goes from Georgia up to the top of Mount Katahdin in Maine. Mm -hmm. We're talking with uh, Jim Schaefer. He is a town historian in Rotterdam. And, and more about the Bicentennial. Uh, we did a program on the Bicentennial with uh, the chairman of the Bicentennial Committee and former uh, town historian, John Woodward. But um, you, Jim, spearheaded the 
bicentennial uh, tree project. What what was that? Well, we decided that 200 trees needed to be put in the ground in honor of the 200 years. So what I what we did is, with the help of other committee members, we got the Mohanison and Shalmont High School uh, environmental clubs or science clubs to promote the idea of having a family take a, a school family take a pledge to plant and maintain a a seedling and uh we got uh, 200 people to do that basically 200 families came i i we bought the town provided the funds town councilmen provided the funds no taxpayer money just out of pocket money uh to buy 200 trees from the saratoga nursery and on two weekends my family and i held forth along with john woodward in the parking lot of the town hall and families came and picked up their tree we gave them planting instructions in a couple of instances people said the tree died so i had to replace them i went out in my yard and dug up a couple of black walnut seedlings and and took it over to them (laughs) but uh a lot of people planted trees in honor of the bicentennial, and that was a good idea. We had other projects as well. Other what as well? Other projects as well. One of the things that on the committee I suggested we needed a beer, speaking of alcohol. Yeah. Okay. And so I went out to the back barn in Dwaynesburg, the back barn brewery, and talked with uh, Brenda Schwarm and the uh, brewmaster, Klaus Kuhland. And I said, listen, wouldn't it be fun to create a native a native grain and native hop beer? And they took, took the idea and ran with it. And just before the corona uh, virus, the COVID virus hit, we brewed a complete batch of Pilsner, which is called Heritage 1820 Pilsner. And uh, I designed a coaster and a sticker to put on the cans. And, uh, boy, what a terrific, terrific Pilster beer it made. And uh, they sold out this summer. <laughs> and, I was going to uh, say. The only place I think, I think you can still buy a, a glass on tap at the Topps restaurant or the Topps diner here in Rotterdam. But we had a, a heritage beer that, again, celebrated the bicentennial. That sounds good. And it's a sellout. The European settlement of Rotterdam, as you indicated, started back in the 1600s. And then when they founded Schenectady, Rotterdam was considered the third ward of Schenectady. But when they created the county in 1809, uh, the powers that be also created two towns, as far as I know, Rotterdam and, and Glenville in 1820, hence 2020, is Rotterdam's bicentennial? Is that is that right, Mister Historian? As far as I know, sure. John Woodward has has outlined the the dates. Uh, I've not seen the charter, but I understand that both Glenville and Rotterdam were approved at the same day. So it was April twelfth, uh, eighteen twenty. We were both we were both recognized as towns, and that was. You know, in 1820, therefore, the bicentennial this year, which is rapidly ending, uh, 2020. But because of the the virus, uh, uh, bicentennial events will continue into 2021, or, or will they? Well, I think they have to, because we can't get together. We wanted to have all kinds of things going on. 
And what ended up is uh, two or three projects got underway, and that was it. Um, so we, we were planning tournaments. We were planning a, 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 a rope pull across the river to reenact the bicentennial rope pull between Glenville and Rotterdam, this time without the fire truck by the Glenville folks who cheated. And uh, we, we look forward to having activities like that if and when we can get together in crowds. But, Hopefully so, the vaccine but, will be here and we'll be able to do what we want to do. Banquets are out and uh, certainly the baseball and football and basketball tournaments that we had envisioned, the band competitions, the uh, adult beverage event at the Maybe Farm, all those events had to be put on hold. And you've talked uh, quite a bit about your family and maybe in particular your father, Vincent Schaefer, the scientist, uh, meteorologist, uh, chemist. And um, you and I talked once before, I believe, when you were putting out uh, a book about him or a book of his writings or something like that. And I, I've, if, I can't remember, I must have asked you this, but I worked at uh, WGY Radio, which was still owned by General Electric, starting in 1980. And it seemed to me that during the that decade, your father would appear, maybe rarely, but he would appear on a a talk show which we did that was called Science Forum. Does that does that ring a bell? Is that is that so, or do you know anything about absolutely. that? Absolutely, absolutely. He was a regular on the Science Forum. He handled all kinds of questions, <laughs> not just about his field of expertise, but other fields of his expertise. Uh, you know how how uh, caterpillars became butterflies and all kinds of things because he was a naturalist. And, uh, you know, growing up here, knowing, knowing so much about what my father did made me a, a, a pretty broad person. So when I went to school, I, I just didn't, didn't really want to do anything in particular. I wanted to do a lot of different things. And so that's what my life has been. I, I, I have, I'm also eclectic, nowhere near mm-hmm. like my father, but uh, certainly have a lot of interests. And uh, well, I... my, fa- my father, I, you know, one of the reasons I left here to go out to Montana was to get away from the influence of my father so that I could cut my own teeth and, and get to do things on my own. And in fact, right. my dissertation on alcohol was something that my father never would have done, which was terrific for me. Yeah, you wanted to have your own piece of the pie, if you will. Right. My own identity. <laughs> yeah. So I studied well, I... alcohol and I studied gambling. And boy, was he ever was he ever aghast at some of the stuff I was able to discover in that area? Was he against gambling? Is that what you're saying? No, he just didn't. He wasn't. He, didn't he wasn't gamble. familiar with that realm at all. In fact, it, it was a kind of kind of just the opposite. He would he would go hiking and, and doing outdoor things, and never would go to downtown Lake George, and never go enjoy. Places like uh, Disneyland, those are things that were just so alien to his way of thinking. And they were things that I decided that I needed to understand and study. I was never exposed to it. So I, I started studying these things. Well, now your uh, your job as a historian makes you study Rotterdam. Is Are there things you've learned about Rotterdam since becoming historian that you didn't know? Well, there's all kinds of things I don't know. And I'm, I'm starting to spread my wings a little bit. Uh, certainly I have collections of prehistoric artifacts that need to be organized. And my friend Don Rittner has done quite a bit with uh, 
some of the collections that my father had, and we're, we're putting those collections out into the public. There are other things that, as I mentioned, I've got lots of different things on the plate that I'd like to start exploring. Uh, certainly the local history of my, uh, my road is, is one, tracing the lineage of all the different families of, of uh, occupants of the Skimmerhorn mansions, for one, and making contributions of that nature. Nothing mm. big, just just plodding away like most historians do. But uh, I'm very interested in learning more every single day. Well, one um, point I think I brought up kind of late in the interview, which is where we are when John Woodward was on, is uh, Rotterdam Junction. I mean, which is a big railroad uh, junction, or maybe that was more important years ago, but it still exists. SI company, the chemical company, of course, has uh, 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 quite a few uh, rails and cars in storage over there. But it, it at one point was the main place where the different rails would come together and, and hook up and uh, unhook. And so it was a major center. In fact, one of the town historians before me, by the name of Whalen, uh, created a whole file of photographs and stories about people in the rail business in the in Rotterdam Junction. He lived in Rotterdam Junction. And so mm-hmm. we have as part of our file uh, all of his contributions, including terrific photographs of steam engines, which, of course, were, were manufactured in Schenectady. So we're, we're, we're the benefit of some terrific things that have gone on here in the past. And you mentioned Schenectady. Rotterdam is kind of depends on Schenectady and maybe the other way around. Or Schenectady is almost part of Rotterdam's history. I would say so. I, I, you know, I've always looked to Schenectady as my home. I don't identify Rotterdam as my home, uh, but I live in Rotterdam, that's for sure. But uh, Schenectady is a very unique place, and it has a, a terrific history. And uh, I, I work with... Uh, some of the other historians uh, at the Schenectady Historical Society uh, appreciating the contributions from each of the different towns in Rotterdam, uh, Niskeuna and Glenville and, and uh, Rotterdam. So we we appreciate each other and, and try to support each other. Mm. And going way back, uh, Rotterdam was known for producing broom corn along the Mohawk River. That's right. John, John Woodward's an expert on the history of broom corn. And, uh, of course, it, it, it occupied the, the main use of the fertile grounds in the Great Flats and also some of the other flats that are up the river uh, became a major industry in our area and, and throughout the world. The bro- brooms were created here and, and basically were sold throughout the world. And it's rumored yeah. that the broom in The Wizard of Oz was made in Schenectady. I don't know if that's true, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt that maybe that was true. That would be a good, good find for the town historian, if you could confirm that. One, one final point, uh, the town's kind of more modern terms, known for, for baseball, I'm going to say, championship teams in the Babe Ruth League and so forth. Absolutely. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, it was the thrill of a lifetime to see the 1954 Little League champions become, uh, you know, go to Williamsport and bring home the 
World Series trophy. I was playing Little League Baseball at the time. The, the mostly Schenectady guys uh, won, that, won that award. And since then, of course, the, uh, the Babe Ruth folks, uh, Babe Ruth teams have done very, very well. And I, mm-hmm. I would say that another really important piece of the pie here is the history of the Chalmont girls. Uh, they've, they've done terrific in soccer. And I understand mm-hmm. that there are some uh, female softball teams that also are doing terrific. You know, we have a lot of things that we need to think about and organize in our thinking about important, important things to celebrate especially during the Bicentennial. Dr. Jim Schaefer is the town historian of Rotterdam, New York. You've been listening to the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore.